Well, tonight we are in Nehemiah chapter 3. Exciting, life-changing stuff. We have been looking at leadership principles each week. Some really life-changing principles. And uh, you can look back at the previous studies and the notes and see those. But we are now in chapter 3, and this is where all the individuals begin to pitch in together and actually do the work, all of it being coordinated, led by Nehemiah. I don't think he had these leadership characteristics. I think the Lord was working with him, and he ended up being a fantastic leader, an example of leader. And, And on top of that, we actually learned God's leadership principles Um, through studying, through the book of Nehemiah. In this chapter, we see that all the believers had to come together to make it happen. Number one, it pleases God to see his people working together in one accord, in one heart, in one mind. God will put us into a situation where we must work together and learn how to lead, how to follow, how to work together with one heart, one mind. Number two, the wall was continuous. Any gap compromised the entire structure. Therefore, each space at the wall was important, even if somebody didn't think so. What a beautiful example of the New Testament. We just studied on this in Ephesians 4, 16. For whom the whole body, it says in Ephesians 4, 16, whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies According to the effect of working by which every part does its share, joined and knit together, every joint supplies, every part doing its share, causes the growth of the body, of the edifying, which is the word to build up, of itself and love. So the whole wall of the church gets built up. Every part of the wall joined together, every part of the wall important. Well, we're going to be looking through this stage by stage, and if you are at home listening or listening to this on YouTube or some other uh, venue, you'll notice a link there to a map that will look at the map of Nehemiah and follow along as we look at the wall being joined together stage by stage. Here, if you have the notes, the very last page, you might want to rip that out, and uh, you can follow that along as, as well and see as we go around the city of Jerusalem building the walls. So in verse 1, we have the high priest, Elishib, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hanel. I cannot explain, as a leader, how incredibly important and encouraging this must have been to Nehemiah. You've got the number one spiritual leader who's not saying, well, I'm going to, you know, wait back and see what everybody else is doing. Who else is volunteering? You know, I'm a somebody. I don't want to look like a nobody if all the other somebody's, you know, having their lesser guys doing it. And I'm the only somebody out there getting sweaty. I'm going to look stupid. You know, I want to see, you know, how this plays out. No. He just stands up. The high priest who would have been definitely in the minds of the people, somebody who wouldn't have to actually do the physical labor of building this wall. He rose up 
And he started grabbing stones and building it in place. And no doubt all the people saw it. How encouraging that must have been to everybody. Dave Guzik writes, If you are a leader, others are looking hard at you, and they follow your example. If you are slow to work, they will be also. If you are full of discouragement and doubt, they will follow. There is a good reason for Elisheb was first mentioned and why the rest of the chapter is filled with the names of more than 50 others that follows his example in the work. You know, even here in our prayer nights, you know, I look to the leaders to step up, to raise up and start leading and setting the stage and setting the types of prayer and setting the atmosphere and the maturity of of strong prayers. But again, I, I think often we, we can be lackadaisical as leaders and and say, well, you know, I'll I'll join in when I join in and it'll be a monumental moment because I'm so amazing. But uh, you know, we'll let all the lesser ones do it first and then I'll come in and hit a home run for everybody. I don't know what people are thinking sometimes. I just know, as for me, I'm going to be the first to join in and jump in and do it because I know that pleases the heart of God. You, you see Peter saying, Lord, if that's you, let me walk on the water with you and jump out of the boat. Yep, come on out, Peter. Uh, he, he liked that, that guy who was the first to, to sprint and run and, and be a part of it. And they first built, interesting, the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where you brought the various animals, including sheep, up to the temple area where then the priest would qualify them or disqualify them to be used as an offering. So again, isn't it so appropriate? The first guy to step up and lead is the high priest, and then all the other priests follow along with him. And then it's such a great example to all. And now the first gate that's being built and will be finished is that gate of worship, if you would. And then they had a very large area to cover. So there was not a small thing. They had a huge area to cover. They had a very important gate. And then I love this. They consecrated it. (laughs) Leave it to the priest, right? To anoint everything. But yet... Again, what a crazy great example. They are saying this work we're doing is not just a physical thing. This is a spiritual act of worship to God. And Lord, the section of the wall we built, we consecrate it. This sheep gate, we consecrate it. And in essence, they're leading everybody to say, as you build this wall, See it as not building a wall, but see it as a point of serving the Lord and worship of him in each stone that is placed, in each gate that is hung. You know, this is just one of those great life hacks, a great insight. Just everything you do, do it to the glory of God, right? Colossians 3.17 tells us that whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever it is, and amongst the pots and the pans and things, give glory to God. Amongst pulling weeds or 
Whatever you do in your work, do it unto the Lord. And now you are worshiping God as much as if you were like a priest giving sacrifices. And then we see that throughout this chapter, the gates are a very high priority. They start with the gates and from the gates, they build the walls thereof because it's the entry point, it's the exit point. When an enemy is looking at a city where it might have a weak spot, they always look at the gates first. And so the building of these gates were an incredibly important strategic point. Well, in verse two through four, we see a group of men from Jericho. If you're in Jerusalem and you're looking east, there's Jordan and then there's Saudi Arabia and then Iran and Iraq. You're looking to the east. It's a border town, right? Past the Dead Sea, right on the Jordan River there. And it's one of the first place the enemy attacks, that city of Jericho. Oh, about 26 miles from Jerusalem, but a very hard, rigorous desert way. But then you're having to leave your city. All the men are leaving their city unprotected. What another great point to make that next to these priests were some guys that were sort of, ah, Jericho is sort of known to be sort of an unholy group. <laughs> but yet you got the holy priests next to guys from Jericho but yet they're willing to sacrifice and come and be a part of that. You're gonna notice this phrase throughout the chapter, next to them, next to them, next to them. Such a very simple thing to say, but how important and profound. Understand, one guy couldn't do this, could he? Even a smaller group or even a large group of people couldn't do this. You really had to have all 12 tribes. You really had to have the majority of the country show up to accomplish such a monumental task. True? True? I mean, I don't think a thousand guys could have done it. I think you've got to pretty much have ability to delegate it out to a tribe and then say, you got from there to there, and it's your responsibility. And if you don't do it, you're letting the whole country down. And it was up to them to navigate the manpower it's going to take for their section. It's such an incredible thing when we see next to them, next to them, next to them. And you know where the weak link was? There was none. All the way around there was somebody next to another guy following through. We only find this a couple of times with the children of Israel. It's interesting. One unique time was in the book of Judges chapter 20 when the tribe of Benjamin sort of became like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but it was a wicked thing. And all the tribes came together and it says they gathered together as one man before the Lord. They all arose as one man. They all united together as one man to deal with their disobedient brother, Benjamin. David talks about the power of this. In Psalms 133, a very short psalm. Here's one for you to memorize, a really small one, only three verses. 
but powerful verses. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edges of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, life forevermore. When the Lord looks at people in unity, he just sees this beautiful flowing, like the amazing oil of incense that was poured upon Aaron when they anointed him to be high priest and everybody's laughing because he's soaking, his hair is soaking, his beard is soaking, his clothes are drenched and they're just laughing at this scene of just being drenched in oil. Or it's like observing the hydraulics of Mount Hermon and you got the snow and then the snow starts to melt and it's hot down on the valley and, and the time you just can't take the heat anymore, you go step in the river and it's this cool water from the snow that had happened months early. Now that cool water is finally reaching you in the valley during the hottest time of the summer. How refreshing it is to the heart of God. Interesting, earlier in Ezra, they did this. And again, it was on a a time when they were having to discipline people. These guys had married different pagan women, even some of the priests had. And it said the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem to deal with this issue in Ezra 3.1. We're going to see it another time later in Nehemiah. It says they all, the people gather together as one man and they come to Ezra saying, read us the scripture and help us now that we have a temple. Now we have a wall where we can worship. Lay it on us, man. We do not know anything about God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he said, the Bible, we're completely ignorant. Uh, Lay it on us. And they had a great revival when they came together as one heart, as one man. And I've seen this through the years. I have seen it in my ministry. I've seen it in other ministries. And honestly, it's a power force that cannot be stopped. When God's speaking and people, God's people are listening and they realize one incredible man can't do it. (laughs) Ten great credible men can't do it. A hundred incredible men can't do it. It's literally gonna take almost everybody to put their shoulder to the work to accomplish it. And they, in particular, worked on the fish gate, which uh, was near the fish market. That's why they called it the fish gate. But it was evidently a very important gate. And that says here in this chapter that they made repairs 35 times. It literally means they made it strengthened. They made it encouraged. They made it strong. It actually has that sense. It's more than just a repair. It made it healthy again, is what it's saying. Note this is a picture of the New Testament principles. These are the principles that have applications far beyond the material gates and walls. The Bible says that we must all build up and repair one another. And the body of Christ is then like a city completely walled in. We again just looked at this in Ephesians 4, 12. 
all God's given to the church, all the various leaders in the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Here it is again, for the edifying or the building up, the building of the body of Christ. And we just, again, looked at it a minute ago in, in Ephesians four sixteen, to join and knit us together, every single joint, every part doing its share causes the body, causes the growth of the body and causes this building up of this house of God. Dave Guzik says it wonderfully. God says the purpose of the church is for equipping of the saints. The idea behind equipping is to prepare, strengthen, to make something able to be used. We come together as Christians to strengthen one another, to make us strong and able to live for Jesus and serve him outside the gathering of the church. Well, in verse five, we now are gonna talk about these guys, the Toakites. You guys remember the Toakites, right? Of course you don't. Um, it's very simple. It's people from the area of Tekoa. You guys figured that out though, right? What you may not know, it's on the other side of Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem, about five, six miles is Bethlehem, about another six, seven miles from there, about 12 miles from Jerusalem is Tekoa. They were of the tribe of Judah. They were the kingly tribe. And it was very noticeable that this kingly tribe of Judah showed up. But notice very quickly, <coughs> their nobles did not put their shoulder to the work of their Lord. In the Hebrew, it's very emphatic, this concept of the they did not put their shoulder to the work. It literally means they were unwilling to submit. They were unwilling to bend their necks. It is talking clearly about the issue of submission. In other words, it wasn't that they were old, it wasn't that they didn't have time, it wasn't that they didn't think they were too important. It was literally, they wanted to make a statement Either I don't like Nehemiah, I don't respect Nehemiah, I don't think he should be leading us. Um, this isn't a great plan. He's not organized enough. We should get a committee together and organize this. He, they were clearly in opposition to what Nehemiah was doing. I can't imagine how discouraging this would be. I would say as high as the height as it was that the high priest were the first to raise up and do it, how encouraging that was. I've got to imagine that this was a, as equally discouraging, that this princely, kingly tribe, the tribe of King David, were unwilling to put their shoulder to the work. Note, God is gracious. He doesn't name the guys. If you'll notice, there's all kinds of names named in this chapter. All the leaders are named. These are the only leaders of the tribe of Judah not named. And it's because their names forever will be an infamy as the guys who were unwilling to submit. Bottom line, they didn't think it would be successful. They didn't think it was worth the bother. And of course, once it was done and, and 52 days on top of that, 
No doubt they were kicking themselves. And when their kids and grandkids said, well, hey, grandpa, what part of that did you build? Uh, Actually, um, let's not talk about that. Why? Because they did not, they were unwilling to put their shoulder to the work. Hey, just a note, another life hack here. Be involved. (laughs) Especially... If you're involved, you won't miss the special moments. You'll always be able to create a moment. You know, we, we, we talk about the day of Pentecost. How many people were there in the upper room? You guys remember? Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. Shh, go back, go back to sleep. 120 people, thank you. But a few days earlier, what size was the crowd that went there? Remember, it was 500 of them. 500 of them started the prayer meeting. But the time, the day of Pentecost, which 40 days later came, 380 of them were kicking themselves for on and on and on. You're part of the 500 that saw Jesus raised up. Oh, man, you must have had a great prayer meeting afterwards. Well, you know, it was great for about three days. And then I decided I had better things to do. It seemed like a week was a little long and, you know, that, that, was, that was too much praying for me, man. After seeing the resurrected Lord ascend into heaven, man, that would be pretty strong motivation to obey, wouldn't it? Jesus said, go tarry in Jerusalem and don't leave till the power of the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And 380 of them would not be involved, would not stay involved would not obey. Simple life hack, guys. Live in a way that you don't have giant regrets. Don't miss out on special opportunities, key moments. Create special moments. You see, this moment these guys didn't participate in, such a great opportunity, a great moment will never happen again in their lifetime. These are things that only roll around in one lifetime, if even that. Don't miss out on an opportunity to serve or to be a servant. Give. Give to everyone who asks of you. Time, talents, treasure. Don't miss out on the opportunity to shine for Jesus, to share the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 5.42, give to him who asks of you. Just, just be ready to give. Brian, would you be willing? Yes. Be willing. Just do it. Often we got to dig deep. We're exhausted. We're tired. Our mind is busy with so many things. Just give. And don't just give reluctantly or minimally. Give above and beyond. Notice in Matthew 5, verse 40 and 42, whoever compels you to go one mile, do what? Go with him too. Give to him, I ask of you. From him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Give abundantly. Go for it. You will see there are many great opportunities. God created that enemy so you could love him and then God would do a great work in his life. Did Jesus love the apostle Paul, who was Saul, who was persecuting the church? Didn't Stephen, when he was being stoned, love on the apostle Paul? When he, like Jesus, said, Father, forgive him, they, they don't know what they do. Well, Paul missed out on hearing Jesus say it, but he got to hear Jesus say it through Stephen as he was being stoned to death. Those things changed the lives. How much of reward in heaven do you think the Sunday school teacher of Billy Graham will have? Well, in verse 6 now, he says, moreover, or in contrast, or on the other hand, you got some guys that are unwilling to put the shoulder in the work, but let me tell you, the rest of the guys were much more willing to put their shoulder to the work. Guys that were great guys, they built the, the old gates. They put it together. They did it. Just, just to note, guys, there is a time that you've got to separate yourself from everybody else. You, you'll discover in life, God calls you, but does not call others around you. You will often find that the majority of the people will do the average but God is calling us to do above average. And you'll find that when you really start listening to the Lord for you to obey God, you have to break away from others to do it. What's that old song say? Though no one else go with me, what? Yet I will follow. And it's just like Lot leading Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> You, you can't drag your wife with you. You can drag her up the hill, but she won't go very far past that. You can't get your daughters out of there. You get two of them with you and they're messed up. It's just, I've got to go. God told Abraham, leave everybody and go. He took his nephew Lot and then he regretted it horribly. Abraham, you leave by yourself, separate from everyone else. And these guys had to say, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm getting my eyes on the Lord. I'm not going to let what the tribe of Judah and their nobles affect me. I'm doing what I'm doing to obey God. Paul tells young Timothy that in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Fight and get with guys who are obeying in the way you are obeying. Don't, don't join in people that are going to compromise you or take you to a lesser level. In 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Well, in verse 7 through 9 now, we discover there's no expert builders. <laughs> Isn't this interesting? There were priests, there were helpers, there were goldsmiths, there were perfumers, there were women, but the one thing there was not was any carpenters or expert builders. I love this. Because God is looking to use willing hearts. 
people who are making themselves available, God will empower them through his spirit to do that work. We also see that it says in front of each house, it says this five times in this chapter, in front of the house, in front of the house. It was neat that each guy was able to give attention to the work in his own home, so to speak. It's such an important point that you not just lead, but you lead first in the home. It's important that you don't just build up the kingdom of God in the world, but you first build up the kingdom of God in your own wife, in your own kids, in your own families. This was a requirement in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 3.1, it's a faithful saying, if anyone desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work, but he goes on down in verse four to say, he has to be one who rules his own household well, having his children in submission with all reverence. He's one who has pastored his own house well. And I love this because they're saying to the guys, I'm not asking you to neglect your family to accomplish God's work. I'm asking you to grab your family to join with you and right in front of your house, do this work. Then it said they also had to build a broad wall. Interesting, archaeologically, we have discovered many of these portions. One of them is 20 feet wide. That's six meters. Archaeological discoveries are still coming strong. Another thing we hear is leaders of this district or leaders of that district. We discover that there in, in, in verse 9 and verse 12 was leaders of half the district of Jerusalem. And then there was another guy who was half the leader of a city called Bethzur. And then there was two other guys that were district leaders of half of the district of Kaliah. There were some important leaders, and I cannot help but believe that their leadership was greatly used to help out everybody. Think about it. You got this guy next to this guy. You got this guy next to this guy. You've got two or three groups of people that, that are just, hey, I'm a perfumer. I make perfumes. Hey, I'm a goldsmith. I, I do this technical thing. I, I, I do this very delicate work. I, I'm working with, you know, little uh, clay things that are making molds to put gold in. And I'm sitting over here mixing chemicals and make great perfumes. I, I'm not used to grabbing a shovel and getting blisters. And I, I'm looking on, working on little tiny things precisely on a desk, not blocks of, giant blocks of stone and, and, and getting dirty and filthy in this ash. But yet these leaders spread throughout the various locations, no doubt, were strong, clear leaders that others and other tribes and other groups were able to model themselves after in the midst of the work. Hey, look at those guys are doing over there. Let's do that too. Okay, that looks like a good idea. But these guys, again, could have easily said, hey, I'm too uh, uppity up for that. I'm, I'm too prestigious for this work. Nope. They all got black 
covered in ash in their nostrils and their ear. Their hair was matted. Their clothes were ruined. They all looked like a bunch of miners. Well, then in verse 11, we have a guy by the name of Malkihu. Malkihu. That's the way it's pronounced for us who understand Hebrew. Um, and you know, you can go on Blue, uh, Blue Letter Bible and every word has a little symbol and you can click on it and it'll pronounce it in the Hebrew. But this guy, the reason he's sort of interesting is because we know him from Ezra chapter 10, verse 31. Remember when the guys were getting called out for marrying pagan wives and then having pagan kids? When Ezra discovered this, he ripped his clothes and pulled out his beard and laid on the ground and then everybody repented and they said, hey, we, we know we've done wrong. We'll separate them. We'll, we'll cast them out and we'll start a, a pure race as God has commanded us to do, especially with the lineage of the Messiah. This guy evidently repented. And, and now we, we see that this guy has a good heart. He's, he's there. I, I love this. We have a God of a second chance. We have this guy, even though he had past failures, he is now full-heartedly serving the Lord. And here's the thing about this guy. He completed the work in front of his house. His group completed the portion of the wall they were to do. And now he's building another section which tells me that even though Nehemiah delegated it out, there were still portions that were untaken, un, unspoken for. And they, they realized if everybody here does their portion, there's still going to be gaps. So some people are going to have to do double time. But we see this guy wasn't bitter we see that he wasn't, well, I'll build my portion of the wall, but I just let you know, I hate all you. Um, no, he, he's like, hey, I'm here to serve. And, and not only am, and I did my portion, I'm ready to do another portion. And then in verse 12, we have a guy who has a perfect excuse to not step forward and do his part. He had no sons. Shalom had daughters, but he had no son. He was a district leader in Jerusalem. He was a somebody. But even though it no doubt was not expected for him to do it, he did it. And not only that, but his daughters joined in and did it. It was a time, guys, when every person was needed. But this gives us an insight here of how unique these people of Israel must have looked building the walls. They're from different areas with different occupations. Their clothes must have looked very different. And then in this case and maybe other cases, the gals were doing this labor as well. That must have looked very peculiar in this culture that these people we're working and all of a sudden you have some gal equally getting sweaty and dirty and covered in black and soot 
taking these walls that had been burnt down and lugging them up the hill like a man would do. I just want to make a a note here. (laughs) It was God who was making this wall building stuff work. It was God who was making it stand. It was God who was going to keep it strong. It never was about, you know, well, we need the best and the brightest. We need uh, skilled workers here. Well, you know, yeah, we built our wall better than you built your wall. I don't think anybody built their wall sufficiently. (laughs) But God made it sufficient. Amen? I mean, that was the clear thing, that they, they didn't have good materials. But again, I love this because... You know, the enemy we're going to see next week is mocking them, saying, hey, a a little fox would jump over and knock down the whole thing. And no doubt this was a part of it. Look at that. They got women working over here. They got an old guy over here. They got a bunch of perfumers over here. (laughs) You guys are, are, you have no idea what you're doing. I, I don't see one bricklayer. I don't see one wall builder. I don't see any carpenters here. A bunch of uniquely unqualified workers. You even have girls doing that portion over there. Do you think that wall's going to stand? But boy, we need to remember God made us unique. And it's beautiful when we all come together in his uniqueness. Don't forget in heaven, everybody's worshiping before the throne, but what? Of every tribe, of every nation, of every people. We're taking our language. We're taking our culture. Our new body is taking our ethnicity to heaven for eternity. Dave, you're going to be a Mexican forever. And uh, Matthias, you're going to be half Vietnamese forever. <laughs> it's, uh, God loves it. He, he wants it to be eternal in heaven. And, and so people that don't like that variety, people that are bothered by other cultures, you, you, you don't have the heart of God on these things. He loves the other cultures. He, he loves the uniqueness that all these cultures and all these things bring. In Romans 14, verse 4, you who judge another servant to his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And in verse 7 of Romans 14, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We all are a part of one another and are affected by one another. In Romans 14, 8, For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. All of us are God's, but we're all unique. And we shouldn't despise the uniqueness. We should embrace it and rejoice in it. Each of us uniquely offers distinctive, unique gifts, a unique way. It is this way that works of God, this is this way that God's work gets done in glorious way unto God. Different types of people, no doubt, with different building styles, but one heart, one mind, and a common vision. Could you imagine? Do you think girls would build a wall differently than a bunch of guys from Jericho? <laughs> Do you think perfumers <laughs> and goldsmiths would build differently? I think if you were to walk around that wall, I think it would look pretty unique. Different concepts, different visions, none of them really great. 
But I, I think I think it would have a unique style of its own and its potpourri of ideas of building and the personalities and those who brought to it. Well, in verse 13 and 14, we have some guys that had sort of an unglorious section. These guys had to build by the refuse gate and then the refuse gate or the dung gate. And they didn't have a small section. They had one of the longest sections. Do you think these guys, when they heard, hey, you guys got the dung gate area uh, and the walls next to the gun, gun gate on each side of that gate. And uh, by the way, it's a thousand cubits, about a quarter of a mile. These guys are going, great. I got the longest section and I got the dung section. How did we get the short end? It doesn't appear that they minded. But when their grandkids ask them, well, what did you do, Grandpa? Well, I built the dung gate. Well, what, what did you do, Grandpa? I built the dung wall. It's not a very glorious story, but somebody had to do it, and these guys were willing. On the other hand, the very next verses we have, verse 15 and 16, are those who got the glorious section, the king section. By the fountain gate and the king's garden and the king's pool and uh, right next to the great ancient place of the great King David. <laughs> and it was a glorious place because they didn't just have a beam, it appears, for the gate, but they had a covered section as well. Or it could just be another way of saying they laid the beams. But it is a unique statement here. They built it and they covered it, roofed it. So it sounds like it might have had an ornamental section giving glory to the king as well. Verse 17 to 20, we have another group of Levites. And they are now coming towards the end of connecting everything. And they had to carefully repair some sections that had buttresses, the corners. And these corners, they had to be very careful because you've got a bad corner, it can affect two sections of wall. And also you wanna make it in such a way that it's strong and not weak. And so there had to be some extra brain power going on here, some extra discussions to strategize. But these guys, the priests showed up, uh, the Levites showed up, and, and they're saying, hey, we, we did some stuff over here on our section, and, and I noticed this is really important, and let, let's strategize here. And they're all working together to make sure the more complicated, difficult spots were taken care of. And then in verse 21 to 27, the Toakites, who their leaders, their nobles wouldn't put their shoulder to the work, end up repairing another section. Boy, note there, these guys not only had to look over the shoulders of bad leaders in their tribe, they had to become leaders themselves. So they finished their section despite the discouragement of their nobles. Oh, there's the tribe of them, they've got their nobles. Oh, there's the high priest. He's leading up their section. And here we are, and no nobles of the tribe of Judah. So discouraging. But these guys were not even not discouraged. They were finished their own, and then they led to lead another section as well. 
awesome. We are not hindered by inferior leadership or tired leadership or weak leadership or inexperienced leadership. We get our eyes on the Lord. God will still accomplish his work. And then we come to the last very final section in verse 28, the 32. And we find a guy, Mesulam. Meshulam, it says he built in front of his dwelling. Literally, this means chamber. It's referring to one small individual room. He had a studio apartment. And nevertheless, it was equally as important. And they mentioned him. Uh, well, should I write in there about Meshulam? They wrote a lot of verses about it, a lot of stuff about Meshulam. But all he did was just a little tiny piece in front of his studio apartment. You know what? If it wasn't done, we wouldn't have a completed wall. How much more in the New Testament we have learned. There's no an unimportant part of the body of Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20 and 22. But now indeed there are many members yet one body. If the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which deem seem to be weaker are what? Necessary. The guys with little studio apartments are very necessary. Verse 23 to 25 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Amen to that. So what have we learned in concluding? Nehemiah has been able to get the majority of the people, groups or teams to start. I don't know what you want to call it. Nehemiah's group. I like Nehemiah's team. Don't you like that? Team Nehemiah. He got his team and he was able to get them started, continue doing their portion in front of each house and then other guys having to do extra additional sections and it was difficult, it was tedious, it was complicated, it was technical. Each section, corner and buttress had to be completed. Here's some principles of leadership we learn. One, a leader has the, the work organized and things in order. He has to understand what he's about to do. He's got to know how to do it and to accomplish it. Then he has to plan it the best he can anyway. In this case, he wasn't able to have everything completed. He needed he need guys to do more than one section and they stepped right up without even being asked to. And then you got to communicate it so the people understand what has to be done. It's so very impressive here to see so many men take on themselves the responsibility to make sure things were done. They weren't waiting around for Nehemiah to come in. Hey, go get Nehemiah. Tell him, what do, you, what do you want me to do here? They were all taking on the technical corners, the buttresses. They were all looking to see what else needed to be done and they filled in those gaps. He really was a great leader and, and really accomplished these guys to have the freedom to, to lead. They understood the goal and they, they were going to use their own skills to get there. Number two, a leader involves 
everyone possible. I love this. They got it. Every single person was important and possible. Number three, a leader is not bothered by delegation. There's some people who say, well, you want it done right, do it yourself. I'll just do it myself. That's not a good thing. It's better to get 10 men involved to do the work of 10 men instead of one man trying to do the work of 10 men. Number four, a leader is not discouraged when visible or important people won't join in and or be a part of the plan so that their participation might be an encouragement in order to accomplish the plan and reach the goal. Guys, it is, you never get used to it. And I don't think any leader can ever be immune to it. But you do learn in the nature of man that when you need man the most, he is there the least. I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe I'm just, you know, becoming an old grumpy guy. You know, I just noticed in my lifetime when you need men the most, they're there the least. Also, when you need man to come to help the most is when man will fail you the most. And you say, well, Brian, that just sounds sort of negative, but I don't get bitter about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I really needed guys to show up to help me and nobody showed up. I'm not bitter about it. I just, God's told us that. We just need to keep our eyes on the Lord and do the best you can do. In Psalm 60, David talks about this. He was frustrated with this point. In Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, give us help from trouble for the help. Or I like the old King James, vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. In Psalms 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He'll never fail you. But man, just, that's just his nature. When you need him the most, he fails you the most. And, and don't get disappointed. Don't, don't get bitter. It's just our The Apostle Paul went through this right at the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he says, When I stood before Nero, all forsook me. May God not charge it against them. He's saying they were supposed to be there. God knows they were supposed to be there, and they didn't show up. The one day, after all those years in prison, they needed him one day when they showed up in front of Nero, and he had no supporters in the gallery. That looked bad. But he goes on to say in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Timothy 4, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. (laughs) The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Number five, you see, I don't remember the first four. Well, that's where I give you notes. Number five, a leader expects opposition and readies himself for discouraging and disparaging words. That's the whole chapter next week. But just, you cannot get overly, you always get affected, but you can't get overly affected by great, by fake news. The leader has to stand strong and keep his eyes on the Lord and be encouraged. Often what the enemy is saying is correct. And it's correct if there is no God. Sometimes there's much that is true in their lie. But what they are saying is indeed a lie if God does come through for you. If it was just man building this thing, their enemy was right. They were going to fail. 
this wall will never stand. I think that was true. I think on a human level, it just was a, a sorry job. They had sorry materials. They had unexperienced people. They did it quickly. You know, it, it just, there was a lot of reasons this wasn't going to be a great ending. But God had said that he was going to make it a great ending. The application is let us as a church be instrumental in our community, in our city, and beyond. We should see ourselves as building a wall. Number one, everyone needs to be involved in the ministry. Everyone needs to put a shoulder to the work. The Bible makes it clear on this. Every, every person is gifted, every part doing its share. We don't want to get discouraged and say 10% of the people do 100% of the work, 100% of the giving. That is true, but not in our case. Amen? In our case, God's moving amongst us. In God, in our case, God is going to do a great work as he has spoken to all of us in our hearts. And he's going to give us a mind to work. He is giving it to us. He's going to cause us to rise up and build and cause us to be successful. Through God, we here at Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos will do valiantly. Number two, to all of those in the church that are leading or overseeing or heading up a ministry, you've got to understand, you've got to ask people to get involved. What's that old saying? The more the merrier, right? I think one thing a leader learns is that people will step up if you ask them to. They will get involved if you ask them to. I think sometimes people think, oh, well, they heard it in the announcement. They read it in the bulletin. No, those things confirm that they exist. But when you go up to somebody and say, hey, we've got a men's Bible study on Saturday mornings, would you join us? They're like, oh, yeah, I read about that. I knew that existed. But, but I don't know. I don't know. You know what? It's just an hour on Saturday mornings. But, you know, it starts at 8 and ends at 9. Oh, okay. Sometimes you got to help them get a vision. Or, hey, we're going to go to Mexico to the orphanage. Oh, Mexico, that's long ways. No, it's not. It's just a couple hours. Oh, well, you know, you get sick down there. Nah, we got it covered. We pray for all the food before we eat it. Sometimes you just got to help people to get them involved. A lot of people are afraid to step out. They're afraid to meet new people. They're afraid to put themselves out there. They might get rejected. We need help in the soundboard. We need help with the, the, the video ministry. Hey, do you guys need help in your video ministry? From you? No. That's, that's what people are envisioning happening. We do need help, but not you. It's just not going to happen. But yet, these are the scenarios. And so if you go to somebody and say, hey, would you help us out on Sunday mornings? You'd be amazed. Number three, God is not looking for great talents, but willing hearts, people who will make themselves available we know that passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, right? Look at our calling. There's not many noble, but we're the foolish, the weak things. God has strengthened us to make all the world ashamed of themselves for thinking poorly of us. That he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen? 
And just to let you know, what is our wall that we're building? What's our vision as a church? Well, it's a, it's a work in progress, but this is where we're at right now. The vision statement of Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos. We are a discipleship-making church that teaches verse by verse through the whole Bible. We also believe that we need to share the gospel of grace to those who don't know him and or are not aware of him and his grace. We believe that the whole world can hear about Christ by one-on-one evangelism and discipleship. We believe such evangelism and discipleship needs to start in our own home, in our own neighborhoods, and then from Orange County to the ends of the world. We believe that each disciple should grow to do the same. We believe that maturity in Christ will be a person who lives and loves as Jesus does. Amen? Well, Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And as we have gone through a very technical chapter, we have gleaned the little nuggets of gold and treasure throughout. And Lord, we just come and and we need your strength. We need your grace. We need your love to draw us to be the people of God after your own heart, to make us a praying people, to make us a worshiping people, to make us a diligent people, to make us a people who will rise up and do, not just talk, to make us a bold people to step out and share our faith and make us a, a people willing to get out of our little own little bubble and our own little comfort zone and, and reach out to disciple people. Lord, here we are, use us. Make us the men and women of God after your own heart.